is the Dave Duran Show with Dave Duran. Welcome to the Dave Duran Show. Dave, we have a great episode lined up for the audience today. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to cover seven forks in the road that leaders uh, face. And they're basically decision points. So we're going to cover those. And, you know, like I said before, uh, Nico, if, if you are a leader, you can use this for your own life, obviously. But, hey, take this to your Monday meeting if you're leading a team of people and share it. You know, I'll, I'll write your talk for you every Saturday so you can use it on Monday. Uh, and then after that, we've got Kevin O'Brien. Now, this is a very important story to me because Kevin has built many different things. He is a, a, a giant in the Catholic world. Uh, he's built uh, the Men of Christ movement in Milwaukee, which has spilled over nationwide to CMLA. Tens of thousands of guys involved in what he's doing. But he also is a really great executive. In fact, uh, I brought him into my own company in 2015 and promoted him to CEO. Uh, so he's running the show now. He carries the heavy weight <laughs> and burden and does a fantastic job. He's an award-winning CEO, by the way, because of the work that he's doing. And then we're going to get in some uh, Q&A. And I love it when people send in their questions. Uh, Dave at LeadingGiants.com to get your questions answered. Dave at LeadingGiants.com. So let's go ahead and start with the seven forks in the road. So, Nico, if I were to say to you, what's the most powerful thing in the world? What's the answer? I think people are motivated by different things, but I think the most uh, powerful thing is a decision. Is that is that correct? Yes. The well, yeah, actually, there's two things. We could be talking about the most powerful motivators, but just the most powerful thing in general is a decision. And you know, some people would argue, well, isn't God's God more powerful than that? God's love. Well, yeah, but what if we decide not to use it? So I, we kind of trigger the value of, or we we trigger what happens with that power. Um, but yeah, so the most powerful thing in the world is a decision, and you have uh, as a leader. All sorts of decisions you need to make, but I've summarized some of them here. One decision you have is the decision to either be distracted or focused. Literally today, when you go in and you start your work day, you 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 can just start off that way. You know, uh, I'm I'm going to have laser focus. I'm making this decision today to be focused or to allow distraction to come in. And the more that you're like the dog that chases the car and then the other car, et cetera, et cetera, the more you lose track of where you are. So make the decision today to be focused and keep it all day long. The second one is innovation versus creating. And the reason that I talk about this is because when you are leading a team, you're always problem solving. One way that people solve problems is they say, hey, we need a new product. Should we invent something? Or... We need a new product. Should we innovate on something? Uh, we need a new solution to our back office technology to track things. Should we build our own, create something, or should we innovate? Is there something out there that we can already use? Do we need a CRM? Can we build our own? Can we use Salesforce or whatever these other CRMs that are out there? Um, we need to create a training program. Can we innovate on other training programs or do we have to start a new one? The reason I'm saying this is because this decision is not one where one is always better than the other, but there's a weighted thing that I just do want to caution people on. I would weight you toward innovating as opposed to inventing or creating. A lot of people carry way too big of a burden, believing that they have to be the inventor of all things, as opposed to just taking things that are already working, that somebody else is doing, as long as you have a legal right to use them, that is. Uh, or that you're currently doing and just make them better. Now, there's a time to scrap it and start over again, no doubt about it. But for the most part, you should make the decision to innovate when possible, create when necessary. Uh, the third thing is, is you have to make the decision to 
use power or to empower. Now, by the way, to empower somebody is to use power. But the idea is, are you going to use that power yourself as as the end? Or are you going to give that power to somebody else so that they now have it? And the decision to empower is always uh, the one that, you'll notice I did not say always the best one, but it is always the one that extends your power. If you're making the decisions yourself, then you keep making the decisions yourself. If you give somebody else the authority to make decisions, then you're duplicating your ability to get things done. So for entrepreneurs and for leaders, empowerment is the better choice for building something, even though making a decision with your own power at times is necessary. Uh, The next one is actually presiding over guiding. And it's very difficult to work with a presider. A presider is a person who basically, they're not really doing anything of great responsibility on their own. They're just kind of watching everybody else do their thing, almost like a more of a fan than a coach. It's important for you to guide and lead people, not just monitor them. And as simple as that sounds to a person who does guide and lead the right way, there are a lot of people who don't. They, they do sit on the sidelines. And, and you know this, by the way, if your boss or your leader is doing it because it's frustrating. You're like, oh, my goodness, can't you can't you invest a little mentally and emotionally into what's going on here so we can accomplish, accomplish something? Here? So make the, make the decision to guide, not preside. The next one is policy versus thoughtfulness. Policy for policy's sake. You've heard me, Nico, say many times, the first policy I always put in place in all my companies is that we don't believe in policy for policy's sake because sometimes the policy doesn't apply. And it's better to be thoughtful about things. Now, you need to have some policies. And why do you have them? Well, because sometimes it's, you know, there's groupings, there's chunkings of things that you're doing. Clients that are this old go into this category. How do you get new clients in this category? But Uh, you know, even in those times, there's going to be one-off issues that you need to be thoughtful. So this is a decision to actually adhere to the policy or to not adhere to the policy. When do you adhere to the policy? When it makes sense. When do you not adhere to the policy? When it doesn't make sense, you stop and you ask yourself thoughtfully, does this make sense? And that's why I always teach people, hey, listen, you have to make sure that you're really hammering out the cardinal virtues. Because prudence is the mastery of decision-making, and we're talking about making decisions, but then you have justice that builds on that virtue of prudence. So now we say, okay, is it fair? Does it make sense to put this person into a group uh, policy? Or is it, you know, is it better to handle this particular circumstance individually because there's mitigating circumstances around it? And then the last one, that second to last one, that is, is sending a message versus communicating an idea, a concept, or otherwise. This is one where I will tell you, you communicate the idea and concept. Don't just send a message. What is sending a message? People would call this Dave Duranding themselves to death in my company. Because <laughs> early on, I t- had said in a meeting, hey, um, I want you to make sure that you communicate to so-and-so that this is going to take place. And we were in a meeting. We came back. And then after that meeting, uh, we... We, you know, we came back to the following meeting when it was supposed to be done and we we're going around the group. And I said, how did that go? How did this go? Great. How did your communication go with that person? They said, well, I don't know yet. And I said, why not? And they said, well, I emailed them and they didn't respond. And I said, oh, okay. I said, well, well, let me, let's talk about this, uh, you know, just a little bit afterwards. Cause I knew it was going to be a, a bit of a rebuke. And, uh, I, I privately, I said, listen, I just want you to know when I say, will you communicate something to somebody? 
I didn't ask you to email them. I didn't. I actually asked you to communicate it to them. And when you communicate something to somebody, here's how you're going to know. They're going to respond. And if they don't respond, then you're going to call them. And if they don't answer the call, you're going to text them. If they don't answer the call, you're going to send a candy gram to their house. I don't know, buy an airplane and put some sort of smoke clouds in the sky. You're going to communicate it. And then you're going to find out that they heard the communication. Let me confirm that you heard that. Yes. Do you understand it? Yes. There's action that needs to take place on it. Are you hearing it? Do you understand it? Are you taking that action? Yes. Now it's communicated. There's a huge difference. When you want to lead people effectively or even raise children, you have to make sure that you communicate something. You don't just like, oh, I told them not to act that way. No, you follow through. You make sure it's understood. Well, that person being a high virtue person, by the way, accepted that criticism well and kind of reignited that message within the ranks of the organization in a way that I really didn't even have to much after that. But communicating something is a way more important than just sending a message. The last thing is virtue versus vice. We've been talking about this all day long. You're going to have a decision. Am I going to Am I going to do something I shouldn't do uh, lazily because um, I'm not willing to grow into the greatest person that I can become? I'm not uh, attracted to personal excellence, ultimately sainthood. Uh, or am I going to forge uh, a better future for myself and those people around me by doing the difficult things and growing as a person, uh, working to grow in my virtue, because basically the virtues are, are the habits of the muscle and the will or are the muscle of the will and the intellect. And we form them through habits and same thing with vice. Although vice isn't a muscle of the will in the intellect, it's kind of a weakening because it's a path of the least, it's taking the path of least resistance. So you have to make a decision every day to do the work of building your virtue and taming your vice. And if you do that, great things can happen for you. And we will be right back with my good friend and colleague, Mr. Kevin O'Brien. This is the Dave Duran Show with Dave Duran. Well, Kevin, you were a guest on the the old Dave Duran Show years ago. And uh, it's, it's great, great to have you back. back. There's been some time. I'm since then. You are now the CEO of Best Version Media. So you've made my life easier. We heard uh, the great intro that Nico did. You've been very, very busy, and I've been very appreciative of the great leadership and work that you did. You know, your, 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 your resume is fantastic. You know, you, you went from playing college football, winning the Raisin Bowl with the winning tackle, uh, playing in the pros, playing for the, the Patriots. I laugh because I know... <laughs> It's not coming out again. Is it's, it? Yeah, you can go all the way back to when we did the first I just, show. I just, yeah. I, you know, I, uh, I, a guy like me who only played high school football, just, then <laughs> we've confused the audience. I, whenever I introduce Kevin, like at work yeah. or any place else, I've had the opportunity many times, of course. I always say that uh, he, he went on then to play for the New England Patriots, which was the best month of his life. And, and it's funnier to me than it is probably to anybody else, whatever it happens. So my apologies to the listening audience to have to endure that. But anyway, so super high performance, all these different levels. You go on to do great things, helping build a company from like 100 million or 200 million to a billion dollars. And then you come into Best Version Media, you take it by storm, you're now the CEO, you lead, but you also led the men of Christ in a huge way in Milwaukee. And I'd like to talk a little bit about how you integrate mm. three things, your faith and your professional life. 
to do great things in the the mission field of the business world, which I think is an important one. Mm -hmm. But then you also use those same organizational skills to build things outside of it, like Men of Christ and Virtue Baseball, all these things. I just want you to kind of tell your story and how you integrate these things. You know, it's interesting. When I go back to my professional career, actually pre-BVM, you know, one of the things that was aligned was my faith in my family. And what there was a gap, though, in my work life. And uh, and again, not just because of the, the, I would say, the culture of the company and stuff. So one of the things that I was always praying for was that there would be an integration. There would be uh, a an opportunity for me in a business world where I could integrate everything together and there would be almost a wholeness to it. So, you know playing professional football, moving that. I, I was in a, um, a uh, I did like in a consultant role, jumping around to different companies within a, a company called Avery Dennison, was with a division of Avery that sold to Multicolor, was with them for a number of years. Good people, just, <clears throat> but just there was this lack of, of I would call virtue development, right? So uh, fortunate, you and I have been friends for a long time, had the opportunity, came over, one of the, the wisest decisions I ever made, right? In regards to entering into something that allowed me to have that integration I was longing for. And, uh, and what do I mean by that? We're a secular business, right? So it's not a faith-based thing, but it was this idea of really striving for greatness um, and, and building, like this would be the first time I heard a business and I called on, your Procter & Gamble, your Anheuser-Busch, your Miller Corp. I mean, you're talking top-tier companies. The first time I had ever heard a, a leader, i.e. you, saying, or anybody saying this, like virtue, like talking about that and really going after and developing the person. Because when we talk about virtue, we're talking about human excellence. And that was very attractive to me. So one of the beautiful things that has happened in my experience uh, with uh, with Best Version Media, media and the, the professional career I've had is that I'm able to to like parlay the learning stuff that I'm capturing in business. I apply into the, the apostle work and the stuff I'm learning in the apostle that I apply to the business because we're striving to help people become the best version of themselves. And there's so many parallels and it has been a tremendous adventure. That doesn't mean that, hey, there's not struggle. That doesn't mean that there's not pain. That doesn't mean there's not fear. It's all of that grittiness of life that has been, that really just adds to the flavor. And I've come through this experience understanding that, wow, why do you do what you do for the greater glory of God, right? I I've really have bid into that. And whenever fear comes, I offer it up. I mean, some of the simplest things we as Catholics have talked about for years, I'm applying in my life. And that anxiety and that worry goes away. I put to trust, I go full go, meaning I pour into, first of all, give God everything. This is my, my priorities, right? God first, family second, work third, apostolate fourth. And really prioritize my life that way. And it's given me tremendous meaning. Yeah, I mean, I think just a lot of people don't have that list together. Right. So they can't get to it at all. And I think that anybody who would see you uh, with your family would say, yes, this is first. Okay. Uh, or God first. Yeah. They would say, yes, clearly God is first for you. They would be with your family. And they'd say, no, actually your family is first. Hmm. But the way you manage your family, God must be first. If anybody was with you in the workplace, they'd say, this has got to be your top priority because you put everything into it. Yeah. 
but wait a second, you do such a great job with your family and you could only have the strength to do that if you had God. So they'd start to figure it out, of course. And anybody that's ever seen you put all that you've put into the apostle would say, this is the only thing this guy does. And I think that's the amazing part about it. I used to have a mentor who was so great at what he did because whenever you were with him, he, he made you always feel like you're the only person on planet earth and you hung the moon. And you make every single one of the organizations, well, your family's not an organization. Your family is an organization. Yeah. It's big it's enough you got to be yeah. organized, yeah. right? Yeah. And uh, you got to lead. But you make father. every one of these four priorities seem like it's the only one. And the only way that you can make that work is if there is that integration. It's pretty powerful. So, you know, um, I think there's, there's a lot of people out there who are saying, yeah, you know what? I maybe had a conversion or I'm taking my faith more seriously or... Maybe I haven't taken it seriously, but I've been so busy with my family and my work that I haven't really had a chance to to do much, to commit much, to to get involved. And when you started the Men of Christ movement in 2005? Two th- well, we first meeting was 2006. First conference yeah. was 2007. 2007. When you, when you started that, we met in 2005. So oh, That's right. Yep. Um, you know, this was not, there weren't men's, men's conferences really happening in Milwaukee. There were, there were, there really was kind of a vacuum. There yeah. was, it was like a desert in a sense. It, it was, it was yeah. a desert. So walk us through, what did you do? Just put an announcement in the bulletins and yeah. now it happened? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, clearly that's not what happens. And I say that because that's what people think. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to mail in my efforts but you start with what it is today, all of the offshoots, mm-hmm. okay, what it has become, and then then go back to the idea that there was like you in a room at first. So, yeah, where we are now from Men of Christ, so March 9th uh, of this year was our, our, now would be what, almost 20th, it'll be no, 18 years, right? 2007, right? 17 years. Um, our, so what do we do, where we're at right now? So we've got a hybrid model, probably four to 5,000 guys. We had last year, 42 different sites, eight states. Um, men came from 120 different parishes. So really it has taken a life of its but own. It, and, and even to, to go, if you don't mind, and sure. show how many different men's groups there are. Oh yeah. How many overall over 10,000 men are involved in some way, shape or form when you, see, because a lot of people think one event, yeah. one day mm-hmm. is going to do something. It really doesn't. Yeah. Well, and, and, and to your point, when we talk about men of Christ is really an apostolate, right? It's apostleship of friendship, really bringing men back. We use the conference experience as a uh, a launching pad. To go, first of all, it gives us a date on our calendar where we're going to actually be very intentional and go evangelize, right? And and take the effort and pour into this to go bring men back to the faith and create a powerful experience for them where con- conversion can take place, right? So we really, the conference experience for us is getting to the heart. And then the next step, which is what you're talking about, well, listen, if it's one event, when you, you got three to maybe six weeks before the fire that was lit in the heart starts to windle away and dry out. So we then roll guys into dynamic men's groups. And also we started what we've called virtue baseball. So there's different aiming for Christ where guys go shooting. So all of these different avenues where guys can really build friendship. And uh, it's been an amazing thing. We've taken Men of Christ and we've also been a part of creating a, uh, a national organization called Catholic Men's Leadership Alliance, which is really this idea of uniting all the Catholic men's apostolates and giving them the learning so we can synergize our efforts and become more efficient and effective with our outreach. Because we as Catholics, we have the fullness of the faith. God wants this from us. And our model is really, you get to father, you get to family, you get to family, you get society. And we're trying to, and, and, and really it's not just for fathers, it's 
men of all stages. Yeah. And then going back to your question, so that's where we are now, but let's start how it began. I also want to, I want to start with this end in mind too. Yeah. Um, my son is going to be ordained a priest oh, yeah. today. And um, uh, the, one of the things that you've watched grow as I've watched grow is the seminary. Oh yeah. And people ask me all the time, they say, why did the seminary go from 10 people, I think 10, 10 seminarians 12 years ago or something like that. I'm not getting this exactly right. Yeah. To, uh, to 82. It's amazing. Today, how did that happen? And uh, as though I had anything to do with it. <laughs> I really didn't. But, but I, I said, well, if I, if I were to make my observation, I, I can tell you, I think, first of all, you have to have a good bishop. Oh, yeah. And that's- Archbishop of Texas. Yes. Phenomenal. And rector. And, yeah. and Father Luke, Luke Strand is just unbelievable amazing. at yes. what they do. I mean, yeah. leadership, right? There that leadership is that. essential. And, you know, you can't, you can't diminish that leadership. But one of the things that I do, I talk nice behind your back. Uh, my, my jokes are face to face, just, <laughs> yeah. you know, but behind your back, I say yeah. a lot of nice things. Yeah. And, and when you started the men of Christ movement, uh, I remember that first time, 1200 guys where there were like 800 guys or something like that. that went to confession. Oh, it was amazing. And priests, or, yeah. priests were saying, these guys haven't been here for decades, 30, 40, 50 years, Dave. Yes. Yeah. And so you get all these guys going to mm -hmm. confession and then their sons see them go to confession. Now you look, you, you replay this and you say, okay, 17 years ago when this thing started, it was there was there was enough. I think two people in the seminary. Some it was, I mean, it was like I don't know what the number it was, was but it was extremely it was low, extremely yeah. low. Mm -hmm. Now those kids who watched their fathers go to confession and integrate their faith, and you even would ask, hey, if you if you might even have a calling, why don't you come out to the mm -hmm. stage? We'll pray for you. And you'd have a lot of you know dozens of kids come up there, and and many of those kids are now. Uh, in the seminary. You know, again, it's amazing how God works when you trust him, right? And there was a, 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 a major gap in that area. And one of the things Father Luke had said when he was not the, he was the vocation director at that time. He go, I said to him, I go, what is the, the biggest struggle you have on bringing men? And he goes, parents. Mm -hmm. And I said, all right, what we're going to do from a man of Christ perspective, we're going to change the perception. And we started that and it was amazing. We'd have the altar calls. And I remember the first time when we had, we, we brought this up, it's kind of like, okay, is anybody going to come up? Right. You mean, that's a big yeah. thing. And it, it kind of, Father Luke's up there on stage. He, he says, Hey, if you're discerning the priesthood, you know, come up. And there was this awkward silence. Mm -hmm. All right, please Lord, let's have one guy. Yes. But what happens is one person stands up and then all of these guys stand up around him and they start cheering. What you see is boom, 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 yes. boom. boom. So this idea of we need encouragement, right? We need to to bring this up. And I think that's been one of the gifts. And it came with a lot of struggle. So this didn't like, we don't have a marketing model. What do I mean by that? Put it in the bulletin, hang up a flyer. It's a sales model. It's, we call it tapping. One tap at a time. It's the personal invite. We've got the, the uh, we build out our leadership team. That would be the, one yeah. of the biggest things that I would say that we did to help us become so effective, so, so fast. It's interesting, just on the on the call to vocations too, the inclination that you have to hear God's voice when you hear your own father's voice, your earthly father's voice, it elevates it. Oh, it does. That's one of our responsibilities is to make sure that our children hear our voice mm -hmm. and adhere to our voice. You know, I said, turn the TV off and you're on your phone and your kid heard you say, turn the TV off and your kid doesn't turn the TV off and you don't feel like dealing with it because you are at work and you're in your Facebook mm. or whatever, 
this moment, we talk about the heroic moment yep. adding up. That's right. Well, this is a moment that's going to shape your child. Mm -hmm. Is your child going to hear your voice? And are you going to follow through on that voice? Because when they do that, they become very inclined. And then how do they hear God's voice? They see their father pray. Mm. And then they pray alongside their father. And then they begin to pray. So they hear their father's voice. And now they're talking to God, their father, in order to hear that. And he, he, it's very difficult to hear someone's voice who you've never talked to before. And I think going back to even what the different, you know, priorities in life is this idea of pouring into each of them. And um, to your point, pouring into your kids, it takes effort. I think sometimes, you know, especially specifically with men, they can get almost overwhelmed with all the things that are yeah. coming at them. And you almost have to like, you feel like you need to shut down. If you, again, pray, God will give you the grace that you need to press on and to give that encouragement to your son or your daughter to do the things that you don't feel like doing, but you know you're giving them the coaching and the guidance they need. And one of the things, I'm old school. Uh, like my dad was from Ireland. We didn't have timeouts growing up. So um, there will be times, I have five boys, two girls. So the boys really kind of press your buttons. But uh, I mean, even going to church one day, hair was on fire. I'm laying into them. <laughs> you know, we talk a lot about virtue and they're yeah. like, literally I'm leaving to go to mass and they leave the towel in the sink. Yeah. So the conversation as we're trying <laughs> to mass and my hair on fire was talking about the little things. And, but I, and I, they, they knew, so go to mass, I'm going nuts, cars all steamed up. Yeah. I'm walking in because I'm angry. You don't like, get hot headed as yeah. an Irishman. <laughs> but I'm like, Lord, please give me the grace to calm down. <laughs> so later on that night, I told uh, my wife, Leslie, I said, honey, you know, I don't know if you heard from the boys. And she's like, man, they loved it. They loved it. Yeah. Because what, what I said is the way I'm doing this is because I care. Yep. And I think sometimes as guys, what we just have to communicate that even mm -hmm. if the world is telling you don't, oh, you're being a, a toxic masculine. No, push through and be a true man that loves their children, that gives them the, the advice and the guidance they need. Even if the world says that's wrong, you know, in your heart is right. Go for it. Yeah. You have to do that. It is, uh, it, it, you know, the world was, always wants to reduce standards. I remember yes. one of my daughters was uh, on Easter and we were going to go to a really nice restaurant that you know on one of the lakes. Out. Oh, yeah. And uh, so it's a big to do for, for Easter. And she had uh, jeans on. And I said, you know, put a nice dress on. We're going to Easter brunch. And, you know, she responded like every, you know, 14-year-old girl. Okay, dad. <laughs> Not. <laughs> <laughs> she, she's like, she goes... Uh, what did she say? She goes, I'm sure everybody else, there's yeah, going to be people right, wearing right, jeans right. there. Yeah. And I said, you know what? I bet there's going to be somebody wearing ripped jeans there. In fact, there's probably going to be somebody wearing super short jeans there. If we waited another 15 years, it'd probably be somebody that shows up without a shirt on and eventually whatever. Yeah. The standards are not what what is worse. I am not here to compare you to low standards. Yeah. I'm here to compare you to high standards. You're Duran. Go put a dress on. Well, and I, you just said that you're a Duran. That's one of the things I, I'm trying to build even this uh, healthy pride within the family. You're an O'Brien. What do we do? We do everything full go. Hey, just came through and said, her family motto is full go. And the kid's like, wait, what? Where'd that go? Wait, wait, we have a motto now. My kids, they would use my stuff against me all the time. I, I always oh, rep out. Oh, gosh. Hey, the key to success is doing what you don't feel like doing. Yeah. And the most powerful thing is a decision, you know? And <laughs> and, and John Paul's watching TVs in high school. And, yeah. and I go, John Paul, what are you doing? He goes, Dad, I just don't feel like watching TV today, but I wanted to be successful. <laughs> it's fine. I've been doing what I don't feel like doing. And I've made a decision to do that. 
So, oh, um, uh, you guys do use humor and oh, RG yeah. in your family, which is great. You use it in work. You use it uh, to attract guys in the apostolate. Uh, you know, talk about the whole idea of joy and energy and how you bring that into what you do. You know, purpose and meaning is like the antidote to suffering. And when you talk about why do you do what you do, we should, like as Catholics, we should really have this joy in our heart. And it's amazing when you do have that purpose, why you're doing what you're doing and you have intentionality with it. There is like, so you got your head right, which really does impact the feelings. There is a sense of joy because you're doing something that's very deep. Father, uh, Father Brooke Masters gave a phenomenal talk on the five levels of manhood. And it was boyhood to adolescent. And the only difference between there was age. And they're selfish. Becoming a man is self, uh, selfless. And then from there, it's mentor, which is you're bringing others along. And then the last one is patriarch. And this idea of a patriarch, what you're doing now will last for generations to come. That to me was very profound. I'm like, I want that. So I want that, starting with the, I want to be a patriarch. I, I'm willing to sacrifice uh, the short-term excitement, whatever it is, for a longer-term good. So whether it be the short-term check in my phone when I should be giving some good coaching to my kids, right? Mm -hmm. That type of thing has been very helpful for me to have a compass of what I'm striving to do. So when a time is to make a decision, to your point, making a decision is the most powerful thing you have, I'm making the right decisions. Yeah. So in, in doing that, there is a joy. There's like, there's meaning in what you're doing. Which, so when I wake up in the morning, I'm not like, no, sometimes I'm tired. Let's not, let's not be uh, ignorant to the fact of reality that, hey, sometimes you're going to have bad days. You're going to have ups and downs in life. But when you have this intention, you have this, what I like to call a higher why, this purpose in your life, it is amazing how that motivates you and it allows you to make better decisions. And with those better decisions, you have better outcomes. Yeah, that's a huge thing. Uh, so you, uh, you, know, you have to pay, face pushback when you mm. build these things. Oh, yeah. You can't, you can't just, like we said, you can't just make an announcement after mass and build an organization. Yeah. Uh, you can't just, you know, rally one or two guys. You can't just build something one time for a couple of years and expect it to stay that way. You've got to constantly rebuild it. You can't correct your kids with manners one yeah. time and have it stick. Well, how do you, you know, what do you do to find longevity to kind of get through that sort of thing and to have the tenacity to fight through those difficult times, basically fortitude, you know, engaging the ar yeah. arduous gracefully. Well, how do you do that? So, I, I mean, to what you're saying is entropy, right? This idea, there's this natural, whether it be business entropy, we talk about culture losing 1% every day, everything, all order goes to disorder. And I think for me, one of the things, again, is staying focused on why you do what you do. That has allowed me to push through the valleys that will come. And by the way, they have come, I swear, every year, right around conference time, like literally the three months before everything goes, the family screaming, cars are breaking down, refrigerators. I mean, all of this stuff that happens in life starts coming into play. And I've learned, I don't know if it was like when I turned 50, I'm 53 right now. I don't know if it's just, there is a wisdom because in the past I would be like, look good for like a 70 year old. <laughs> See, not, this is yeah. the stuff. It's on Catholic radio. Like I'm putting and, my sins right out there. I just you're so humble, Dave. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I think have again going back to what you said. Just, I literally have turned some people off there. If they knew our relationship, but knew that you you throw those back at me. Oh, I I, by the way, I now you're do. taking that. I never do. I never okay. do. Now make you, sure you send Dave hate mail. You, you need to go to confession more than I do. Okay, go. So I think going back to your question, this idea of, of really keeping knowing what your why is and why you do what you do has been so helpful for me. And then, you know, going back from a faith perspective, keeping that at the forefront, 
I think a lot of times what I, I find too is uh, people, they don't have good routines. Uh, what I've come to learn is mornings really matter. And it, to get your routine, to have that consistency. So the plan is already set. So how do you drive that consistency? I have a really good regimen to my day. We were just talking about that, right? Hey, I get up, this is what I eat. I, and having that, so I don't have to think about it. I just enter into it and the momentum happens. And it's fascinating. I see so many of uh, uh, people that I talk with, they're all over. So order, right? We talk, we talk a lot about this. Order brings peace, peace brings prosperity. So this idea of bringing order to my life is something I've really worked hard over the years. Yeah, I mean, it's essential for building anything. anything you want to build a yeah. family, you want to build a yeah. business, you want to yeah. build an apostolate, but it's also essential for building our spiritual life. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of a, I've heard exorcists say it's a demon repellent, yeah. um, which is why they say, don't just randomly say, well, randomly pray. Yes, we pray throughout right. the day, but yeah, yeah. if you put structure in where you say, I go to daily mass, or I pray the Divine Mercy Chapel, or Chapel of Divine Mercy, or I, I pray the Angelus at six noon or six. Like I have a particular discipline in my life uh, that 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 uh, I, I I couldn't put into words what they're saying here, but here, let me do it in my own Dave Durant summary. That good, do it. Yeah, yeah. So it's a it's a good thing uh, spiritually. Uh, what I, I think what it does is when we talk about virtue, we're talking about habits. What are virtues? Good habits. Mm -hmm. And when you talk about having a good routine that you follow, so now you don't have to pour more mental energy out. You've got a a routine to follow that allows you to build those good habits. Forty percent of decision making is done through habit. So you start thinking. You put these these building blocks in play. So now there's this, it's not only do you have your why, but you have the systems. You, uh, James Clare, this is a great book, Atomic Habits. He talks about you don't rise to the level of goals, you fall to the level of systems. So this idea, you have your system in place uh, on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. And it's amazing how that routine allows you to build momentum. And now that you're executing it, you're completing the task. You have dop a dopamine effect. Yeah. For some people who don't really get that, or they'll say, oh, that sounds more complicated or harder than mm. it's, it's actually really a simple thing. Yep. So when you see athletes, or if you are an athlete and you're listening, you're like, okay, I, I can get this side, then apply it to your spiritual life, apply it to your business mm. life. And it is that great athletes make split second decisions yes. with good outcomes. Yes. To pass it, to throw it, to fake, to move, to whatever it happens to be. And those, that is a, that's repping out decisions. You can be all the athlete in the world, but until you build those habits by repetition, which now you're making these unconscious decisions, because they don't, they don't, they don't go, I am running yeah. now, left, right, left, stop, look back, throw, duck. They don't do that. Mm -hmm. It just takes place. Mm -hmm. And business decisions mm -hmm. and even or spiritual decisions, they have like, like if you are, are, are if your policy on honesty is, tell lies when it works, mm. be honest when it works, you're going to have way too many decisions to make. If your policy is honesty, you've eliminated 10,000 decisions in the day yeah. and your day is so much easier. And you are, are you're, in fact, many times you're not even making a decision. You're just taking the only path you should take because it's the only right path. Well, I think it was Augustine said that, uh, you know, start with principle, work towards application, right? So this idea of doing the right things you eliminate, because you're using principle to guide you, so you have better outcomes. You're eliminating all of this other wasted yeah. energy because you've made it at the beginning of whatever that is. Like, again, waking up in the morning, you've already made a decision the night before that you're going to do it. Yeah. The other thing that you know I would throw out to people that may struggle in the beginning is make it easy. 
uh, again, that just I'm, I'm stealing James Clare because he's at the top of mind, but this idea of when you're trying to develop good habits, make them easy, right? So if you're coming back into the faith, you're like, oh my gosh, it's just, hey, start with one thing and build on it. If I would throw out to people one thing that I've, I've heard from a priest, what is the one thing that you will always hold on to? Uh, and it was a great comment. And for me, it's the rosary. I've always like, if I, I, I can't miss mass, mm. not doing this, what is the one thing you will commit to every day and get that done? All hell's breaking loose. It's the rosary. I mean, Squeezing the beads. That's a great commitment. Well, Kev, we are at the end of our time here. It was a fantastic interview, like always. I am grateful uh, for all that you do uh, in my life to make it great in the management of the responsibilities that you manage. But I'm just super grateful, too, for what you've done in the Meta Christ movement because it spills out across everywhere and it's making a huge impact. You are an inspiration to many people. We're going to be back with uh, Q&A on uh, the Dave Duran Show. You can reach us at Dave at LeadingGiants.com. That's Dave at LeadingGiants.com for some questions. We've got a couple of questions, a couple of career change questions. You know, is this a discriminatory factor that we're dealing with? Uh, a couple of other uh, interesting things that we're going to get to when we come back at the Dave Duran Show. Welcome back to the Dave Duran Show. Great questions lined up here for today's episode, Dave. And again, for those of you listening, feel free to send over your questions at dave at leadinggiants.com. We do take a look at each and every one of your questions. Uh, today, we got a question from Lisa. And basically what she's getting at is her husband has over 50 years of experience working his way up from sweeping the floor to earning an MBA and being a director of quality for a large, larger company. Uh, he was laid off, unfortunately, it appears to be due to some DEI factors uh, under a newly hired uh, female president. They're not under any sort of financial hardship, but he did take a $90,000 pay cut when uh, getting a new job. And he's looking to work for a, at least another four years, it looks like. Uh, but uh, again, he's not necessarily content with where he is. Should he just accept that he'll be working at this lesser position until 70? And Dave, by the way, it, it sounds like he's getting crickets left and right every time he applies to new jobs, recruiters reaching out and, and you know ghosting him essentially. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, uh, I, first of all, no, I don't think he just has to accept this. Uh, it is problematic when anybody is let go for DEI reasons, basically reverse discrimination when that sort of thing takes place. But um, he's facing now a different type of thing. So it's, it sounds like he he faced a reverse discrimination with DEI. Now when he's applying, he's facing age discrimination is what they're more or less saying. And he may be. So if we look at why that takes place, it, it takes place for a different reason than the DEI sort of discrimination. This is kind of a more of a practical thing that a person could have empathy with. It's just, you know, hey, we want to develop talent for the long term. And if this person is openly saying, I only want to work for a few more years, <clears throat> that kind of makes sense. Unfortunately, is illegal to discriminate. So they're, they're a little nervous about that, even having the open conversation. But here's why he doesn't have to settle for it. You know, if you don't have to work because of financial hardship and it's he's working through choice because he finds it to be a healthy thing to do as you continue to raise your children, um, I think he should just look around until he finds something that he likes, even if it's lesser. And he might find that in the organization he is, uh, you know, really enjoying it and uh, there's some good things that come from it. And if he's just patient and he basically says, I'm going to do the thing that I'm doing now until I find the thing that I want to do, that's fine to do even at that age. And there are going to be organizations out there who are going to catch his ear and uh, or they're gonna, he's going to be able to catch their ear. And uh, they may just want to bring him in at that kind of managerial level, not at the same level of leadership, but something could work out where 
they recognize his energy and his enthusiasm and his desire to grow into something more. But I would also say this, one of the things that he has the opportunity to do uh, is to uh, start his own business. A lot of people can do that without an incredible amount of stress. Now, if you were saying we have young children, we've got all these bills we have to pay or we have to save for retirement. I mean, I still might give this advice. In fact, I do it all the time, <laughs> but I would do it differently than I am here. The reason that I'm saying that he, he doesn't really uh, have the same level of stress is because he could easily go into a consulting role. He has an expertise that he's built over 50 years. He's got a great resume. If he can summarize the things that, that he has learned and know where the market is for him to share that sort of thing, he might be able to just be kind of like there's, there's, there's like the CEO, a short-term interim CEO for hire or a fractional CEO. Um, uh, and you know, whether it's a CEO role or not, that's not a role that he was in, but, uh, you know, he could create a fractional opportunity for him to share his knowledge and understanding for companies that has a, an interim need for what it is that he needs to do. Or if he's more or less doing this to get satisfaction and to enjoy it. And then if the finances are, are something just kind of on, on top that he enjoys, uh, then he would be able to truly enjoy what he's doing because he can build it the way that he wants to build it. I'm hearing a little bit in this that, you know, there may not be like full financial freedom because there is the, the bothersome idea that the benefits are a little bit less and the pay is less. So there might be a little bit in ground or in between ground practical side to go here. But the answer to your straight question is, should he just succumb to the idea of having to settle with this? No, he shouldn't. And he should know that he has choices. Those choices come with some difficulty and certainly not a really easy answer. It's hard out there and it takes time and it uh, uh, means a little bit more work. Um, but no, he doesn't He doesn't have to settle. He's got some things left in the tank. And if he's willing to do the grind, uh, he can find satisfaction in it. And I wish him well in that. Yeah, great, great answer and insight, uh, Dave. Uh, I'm going to move into our second question here, since we have a little bit of time left. This particular person is a small business owner and says that cash flow is tight. Uh, I work with vendors regularly, but this particular vendor uh, has a net 45 policy, meaning that payment is issued 45 days after they receive an invoice. It's been 60 days and the vendor claims they didn't receive the first two invoices I've set. However, I have a paper trail confirming that it was sent and received. I'm on my third attempt. They finally agreed to pay it in 45 days. They're late. They paid before, but it seems like they're dropping the ball. Dave, my business isn't in a position to be anyone's bank, and I'm considering standing up for myself and my business, but I'm working on standing on my Catholic principles first. Should I look into legal action, or what do you recommend? So a couple of quick things. Let me summarize this question for the, the audience that might have been a little bit lost in that, right? This person has done some contract work with somebody else and sent a bill and these people claim they didn't get the bill. And so they are basically saying, you need to re-invoice us and then we're gonna pay it. The person has a history, a documented history showing that they did actually invoice on time. This was the bill payer's error, not the recipient's error. And they're kind of being a little bit seemingly not accepting responsibility here and saying, yeah, we'll pay you, but it's gonna be 45 days. There's a financial struggle here because this is a small business and the money would be much better received immediately for them. Here's, what, here's exactly what I would say on this. And this is a common scenario. 
I would, I could ask a lot of questions. Okay. Where are these people located? Are they international? Are they local? Is it going to be easy to get the money? How often did you invoice them in the past? What is your relationship with them? Are you going to work in the future with them? And on and on and on and on. The major question that I would ask is how much is this? If this is a massive bill that's going to make the organization crumble and you have to go after it, then maybe you take legal action. To answer your question, as far as a Catholic is concerned, you don't have to worry about that. You, you know, you you have a legal right and you have a moral right to the money, but this really isn't even about that right now. If this is a nuisance fee or even something that is close to a nuisance fee, maybe it's like, hey, the money would really be nice to have now, but it's not going to kill us. The mental anxiety on this is not worth it. And I see this all the time. The fight here mentally and emotionally is a view that's not worth the climb. No, I'm saying this because they already agreed to pay it. They said, I will pay it, but it's going to be 45 days. If you try to take legal action, you're probably not going to get anywhere because they have what, generally speaking, the right to cure. Okay. And they already said they're going to cure this. I am going to pay you the money. It's just going to take a little longer. So you would be proving your point in a pyrrhic victory the mental anxiety, the cost of, uh, of of frustration and anger and distraction, uh, and the legal fees in order to do this sort of thing would not pay off, generally speaking. Uh, I will tell you that usually when I see this sort of thing, the size of the payment or bill that the small business wants, if you were to take the amount of effort that it takes to get this money sooner. And that's, again, in this situation, we're not talking about getting it or not getting it. We're just talking about getting it sooner versus not. And I've done this with small business owners. I said, okay, let's walk through this. How much time did you spend on this? Okay, you did those emails. You went and you found that person. You talked to these people. Was it bothersome? Did you ever go home and tell your wife about this, your husband? Oh, you did. Yeah. Were you happy when you did? Oh, you're frustrated when you did that. Did you do that more than once? Okay. So let's add up the mental anxiety, the amount of time that you spent on all that. Let me ask you, with the day and a half that you spent on it, how much are you worth per hour in your business? Let's break down the amount of money that you didn't get in whatever period of time versus the amount of energy that you spent into this. And could you have literally ignored this and not even got the money and made it back by being focused every day, not to mention the fact that you're bringing strain into your relationship because of it. So as entrepreneurs, there's this principle, that's my money, you owe me, I'm supposed to get it, you're not paying it. And on principle, we want to kind of like fall on the sword. Listen, there's a time to do that. And then there's a time not to do that. And it entirely is a prudential decision where you're, you're taking in the entire circumstance and you're weighing these things against each other to see whether or not this is worth the mental energy to just let it go. And um, I hope that helps the uh, caller. Well, what's the saying uh, you constantly reference, Dave? It's uh, being right to your own demise and... I mean, you could you could you could say it for me because I <laughs> being right to your own demise versus wrong to your own prosperity. There you go. In this case, the reason this one is hard, Nico, and it's yeah. a good point, is because this person is right. They're right. That's their money. They did it the right way. It is owed to them, and these people are now paying it exceedingly late. That's the reason this is a hard one. This is like such easy bait to take, you know, and 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 it's it's an understandable bait to take because it's the principle. And that's why it really takes kind of an experienced person and a magnanimous person to say, I'm not going to engage in that. I'm going to focus on things that are bigger and more important right now. And we'll just let that money come in 45 days and to go for it. But you're it's a good point that you're making. 
Well, that was great, uh, Dave. Certainly learned a lot. And for those of you listening, if you have any questions for next week's episode, send them to Dave at LeadingGiants.com. It was a pleasure, Dave, as always. And uh, I hope everyone has a wonderful rest of your week. Tune in next week to the Dave Duran Show on Relevant Radio, Saturdays at 1 p.m. Central Time. And the podcast version is available one hour after airing. We'll see you all next week. God bless.